0: All right. welcome to Teaching Others Also, Jeremiah chapter 2, please, Jeremiah chapter 2, in your Old Testament. From time to time, all of us as believers will read something in that Bible and it will have a historical thing, which is what Jeremiah 2 is. But many times the Lord will bring about to your mind a good practical application. Now, let me just say this quickly as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, hopefully, you turn there. Is we just need to guard against, in the day we live in, uh, willy nilly application. In other words, just, you know, slack, maybe unstudied, um, you know, spontaneous, lack of, of, you know, continuity with the Bible application. Application is when you read something and you apply it to now, you apply it to yourself. You apply it to, you know, what's going on in the, in your life or a believer's life. That kind of thing. That's application. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm going to read Jeremiah 2, 1 to 8. Now, the passage is a, is a great passage. By the way, a few little thoughts is that the Apostle Paul quotes and refers to Jeremiah frequently. And... Probably, if you wanted to uh, draw some kind of inference from that, which is a safe one, remember, clear teaching, consideration, conjecture. Clear teaching is what sound, what I would call sound doctrine in your Bible. Consideration is well, this might be. Conjecture is just out there. And when you do those things, whether you use those three words or not, because some people just will not use those same words because somebody else used them. I understand all that. I get it. But when you refer to things, teach, preach, talk to people, refer things. And by the way, just while we're here, one of the most dominant influences in life is the third type of authority in this world. There is a divine authority that starts with God. And it's there whether you acknowledge it or not. It's there whether people out in the world acknowledge it or or even your own self. And then there is delegated authority that comes from God. And sometimes that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth layer down, it doesn't resemble the Lord because the person and the power being delegated, you know, they've left the Lord behind the divine. But the most powerful authority is dominant, not dominating as in overpowering you, but dominant in the fact that you give it authority. Now, when you give God the authority He ought to have, His divine authority, and then when you give God the authority He ought to have through delegated authority, then that will have the dominant authority in your life. Authority is influence. Authority is something that can move you, guide you, direct you. When someone that you know, you trust, whatever, says, uh, you've got this situation, for example, some of us right now dealing with an injury. So when you're dealing with an injury, sometimes you're going to get some some input on that kind of injury. Of course, nowadays people go to the internet and stuff. I and and I would I, that's fine, that's good. But I would say to you, occasionally, frequently, practice just leaving that stuff alone. I, I, you could say cut yourself off from it, whatever. Leave it alone and ask yourself with your Bible open. And, and, okay, what would I do if it wasn't for all this cotton-picking technology? Okay? What would I do if it wasn't for all this massive information? And it's just good to slow down and do that, especially with the social media, all that kind of stuff. What would you really do if it was just you and your Bible and uh, your backyard and your neighborhood and all that, what would you do? What would you do? That's really important. I don't I don't know if I can stress how important that is for you to get hold of. But it is. Now I said that to say this that when you come to your Bible, then you give it a dominant authority. So when you exercise a consideration or a conjecture, it should not be issued with authority. I I know this is going to sound crazy, because it is, kind of. I was picking up rubbish yesterday off out by the road, by the driveway, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where maybe somebody threw a bag of rubbish out, trash out, or whatever, or it fell off the garbage truck, whatever, but there was stuff down both sides of it. And I was picking it up. I had one of those things you grab it, pick it up, put it in the bag with. No, I was not on a chain gang. I was doing it voluntarily. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't I was on detention <laughs> this time. No, I'm just kidding. wasn't on detention. But as I was picking it up, I thought back, and it was just like immediate connection between when I was in Bible school at a Bible institute and... Our Bible teacher, Doc, was a very well-known, famous one. You loved, They loved him or hated him. It was Pucker Up or Duck. And he always made a big point out of kind of just, I don't know, maybe proving that he was a rebel. And I get that. I do. I get it. Okay. But he always made a point out of talking about, you know, if it says don't litter, he littered. If he was going down the road, he threw stuff out and created jobs for people. And I remember as a first-year Bible student hearing that, and I was like, man, I cringed. Now, here's why. Hear me out. And and I, I loved Doc as much as anybody on the face of the earth and respected him. But here's what I thought of. That spirit sometimes, God might let him get away with it. He might let him get away with it, Okay. But that spirit in a young man who's learning the Bible and actually learning so much Bible that he could, he could correct his peers as such out there in Christendom is a dangerous thing. And I've seen it take hold. Because as I was picking that stuff up, I was like, you know what? I don't want somebody driving down the road and throwing their stuff out the window because they're too lazy to have a bag in the car or to get it out of the car when they get home or the truck. And it isn't a good Christian ethic. It doesn't prove that we're not walking with the world. If anything, it might prove that that particular part of our life is unruly. Now, with that in mind, okay, with that in mind, let's read these verses and hear me out. Like I said, you no, know, I couldn't hold a candle to, to Doc teaching. But let me put it to you this way. I also am thankful that I caught... The right spirit of him. Have I been perfect? No, none of us are. Of course not. But I am thankful that I caught that part of him and not some of the other. Uh, I ended up having to, uh, you know, be subject to governments, which you have to be in your Bible, by the way, Romans 13, to get visas, to be a missionary, etc. <clears throat> Hundreds of different ways that it has to happen. So I understand all of that. All right, Jeremiah 2. Verse 1, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember the, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Now keep in mind, as I said, there is a there is a connection between, uh, say, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament and, and, and Jeremiah in the old days. The Jeremiah is like the prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's. is... Uh, You know, God called him before he formed him in the belly. He knew him, chapter 1, verse 5. So he's preaching to these people, and he says, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. And all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. So Israel's God's chosen, by the way, get this, please get this. And God says, don't touch him, or I'll judge you. And someone says, yeah, but look how they're treating you, Lord. He said, I'll take care of them. You take care of you. This is really important in the day we live in. We live in a day when people are leaders, rulers, whatever word you want to use. You guys call them politicians, but they're leaders and rulers by the Bible definition. We're living in a time when they're they're not doing right. And they're not even treating God's people right. And God says, but you got to do right. So God will judge them. He will someday. I, I promise you that. He says so in his book. He'll judge him. And so I, what I got to do is keep my walk right. You say, well, is God going to be offended if you're throwing trash out the window? Let me ask you this. Do you think the Holy Spirit would have you do something that is just against nature? That is against society? An old time man of God who's gone to be with the Lord now. And he even got himself right about the King James Bible before he passed away. And I was around him as a very early Christian up in up in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. <coughs> that old timer, I went in his office one day. I was cleaning out buses. I had a bus route after I got saved. It was a great thing I did. It was a blessing to me to learn about dealing with young people, dealing with the worst you know hardest parts of the city of Atlanta, Georgia, the darkest parts. And it was great. And I was cleaning out the buses one afternoon. And I walked by his offices in there, and I, I just couldn't resist. I'd read some books about the Holy Spirit and the, you know, and the power of God. I'd read about the Life of Deal Moody and stuff. I, you know, I'm a young baby Christian, and I went in and I said, "Could you give me one thing about walking with God?" And he said, "Don't offend the Holy Spirit." I said, "Could you help me with that?" He said, "I'll give you an example." He said, "Sometimes we're tempted to break." The laws of man because they're inconvenient he said i like to drive fast he said but when i do and preachers are known for it especially going to meetings i know you all have heard about the guy true story the preachers you know he's late as usual this guy and all discombobulated he gets pulled over and he's trying to get get going and he the law enforcement officer walks up asks for his license and he says uh, he says sir i don't think you know what i am he goes oh i, I do i do well the guy's thinking to himself, well, good, good. He maybe he's heard me preach somewhere. He recognized my face or whatever. And so he's gonna hand him his license, figure he's gonna let him go. And he said, he said, Sir, how would you know what I am? He said, Oh, well, I do know what you are. He goes, Well, how would you know that? He said, You're a dirty lawbreaker. <laughs> okay, so my point being, so that that preacher said to me, he said, he said, uh, the Holy Spirit will convict me about little things like that. He said, Don't and so I'm saying to you as we read this, think about that for a minute. My thought is this morning, no fault in him. No fault in him. Now, I say that because, of course, you know, reading your Bible, that there's a passage in there where he said, I find no fault in him. Okay? Now, maybe you'd say, well, I don't find any fault with God. Okay, well, let's just look. And by the way, that's... and I. Maybe you haven't read it or you want to look it up. It's in John 19. It's when he comes before them and the chief priests bring him up and everything. In John 19, verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth you that you may know that I find no fault in him. There's another passage that says no fault in him at all. Now, let me ask you this. If... You and I know that there's no fault in him at all. By the way, that's chapter 18, flip over here. That's 1838, no fault in him at all. Okay? But let's watch his passage. Verse 4. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, would you mark this? What iniquity have your fathers found In me. Okay? In other words, finding fault with God. And he's saying, you must have found fault with me. Now watch, because, ready? What (coughs) iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity or become vain? Now before you dismiss me and dismiss this truth as not applying to you and you start thinking of uh, people that you think should hear this, would you just focus on yourself for a few minutes? Because if you're listening to this, you probably are the kind of person that you're walking with God, you're trying to, you're thinking about Him, etc. But you need you need to listen, okay? Verse 6, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land, made my inheritance an abomination. Now stop. Ready? If you're in a time of things being fairly good, I mean, you're not in the hospital. uh, You got food on the table. Your bank counts in the black, not the red. By the way, a $100 in the black is good compared to what some people are dealing with. Okay, today in this, after all this so-called pandemic and blah, 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 blah. If you're not careful, you've pulled back from him in ways that maybe a lot of people don't know yet. In ways you may not see. But God sees it. And this is not a legalistic thing. Look at verse 8. The priest said, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. They that handle the law. Ready? The pastors also transgress against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. You say, well, how could a pastor and a, how could a prophet prophesy by Baal? All you got to do to prophesy by Baal is use your own intellect, your own knowledge of Scripture, your own education, your own gifts and skills and wits. Some of y'all are very skillful. You've got a skill that really you didn't cultivate. God gave it to you. That skill might be putting thoughts together. That skill might be the way you present, present it. It might be, you know, outline. It might be stealing other people's stuff every chance you get. It might be. Whatever it is, the point is, are you finding fault with God by your life? See, when we don't fully and wholly follow God, we're saying that we found some fault in Him that justifies it. Now, you're not saying that in so many words, but that's the logical conclusion from God's point of view. He talks in these passages, chapter 2 and 3 and 4, about, you know, idolatry and adultery with things. Chapter 3 there, verse 9, he talks about things. It came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Things, buildings, structures, programs. It might even be with, you know, statistics. What happens is, if you'll read chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, is that godly fear gets less and less effective in their life and in your life. Is there a part of your life that's saying, well, I found fault with him? Maybe, maybe you've slacked off you know, in some personal devotional time. Maybe you've slacked off in how you talk and deal with others. Maybe you've slacked off in allowing God to put people in your heart and then make intercession instead of interjection. Three things. Negative responses to natural events. Negative responses to natural events. Now, natural events can be very tough. Uh, They've got tornadoes going through right now. I mean, uh, they've got all kind of warnings about a band of them. Today's Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022, and... Uh, out there on the Gulf, they've got warnings about potential tornadoes, and they're rough. Drove by a place the other day that had tornado damage. You have things like, in the summer and late fall, hurricanes. and Down south of the equator, you've got cyclones. You have floods. They had floods recently. Natural events. Lightning strikes. Natural events. Health. Some A, a lot of health problems are just natural events because we get old. An older, negative responses to natural events. What do you mean, brother? i, I give you an example. If it's, if it's, oh, no. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's unfortunate. Okay, okay. It's not fortunate as in it's going to bring good fortune to anybody. Okay? But it's also not horrible in that God did allow it and he wants it to be used. In this thing in Jeremiah 2 and 3 and 4 and think, he uses, he talks about using nature. Okay? And using rainfall and drought and those kind of things. You see, what's what happens is we get negative responses to natural events. There's European war going on. Okay? That's bad. It is. I woke up praying for some of the people, hundreds and thousands of people have it rough right now. Now that doesn't mean that that you got to go around doom and gloom. I get that, but it's a, it'd be okay to have a burden and to pray. To pray impassioned righteousness like we spoke of most recently. Negative responses to natural events. If you tend to the negative, slow down. Retrain that mind of yours. Quit finding fault with God. Listen he made it to where the world itself would would be reminded of sin entering the world by virtue of natural events. He did do that. He did. A storm, a tornado. You say, well, someone had a car accident. That's a natural event. You cannot have millions upon millions upon millions of people operating dangerous machinery called vehicles, transportation, cars, trucks, They're dangerous, by the way, and you cannot have them operating it without things going wrong because they very seldom focus on just what they're doing. That's human nature. That's how it is. Secondly, neutral responses to nudges from the Lord, from God. We're going to get to something worse than that in a minute, but right now, neutral responses to nudges. When God nudges you. One of Oswald Chambers' devotions yesterday, day before, it was this week, talking about God checking you, the Holy Spirit checking you. That's a horse term. Checking you is what you do with the horse when, when you, you give a horse its head, if you've got any sense, when, it, when you can because you've trained it. And if you're, say, working cattle or moving sheep or, or other horses, livestock, you've trained that horse and you just let them. You don't stay in their mouth, as we say, constantly pulling the reins. But when you check them, it might be a little nudge with a foot just on the shoulder there. Uh, If you've taught that horse to neck rein, for example, you could nudge it with your left toe and it's going to move away from it like it would if you did the rein without you even moving the reins. Most people think spurs are for jabbing the horse with. No, spurs are primarily to help when you're working cattle and stuff, help it turn quickly. You just barely, you just touch that horse on the side, if you want to turn right, get this, you touch it with your right spur, and it'll move its rear end out of the way. When that horse moves its rear end, it's like a zero-turn mower nowadays. It can make a turn on a zero turn. It can almost do a negative turn for you. I've seen a horse be so quick and powerful that way that when a person got on, wasn't used to them, would drop them. They'd fall off the horse. Horses step out from under them. They're so good at it. So when God gives you a nudge, a neutral response to a nudge, that is rebellion. It's rebellion. If God nudges you and says, don't do that, and you go ahead and do it, that's a a neutral response. Let's say God says to do something. This is primarily where the neutral response to a nudge comes from God. Do that, and you don't. You just don't do anything. Because the third one is, all right, so there's negative responses to natural events. There's Neutral responses to nudges from God, but then there's no, in, in quotations, no responses to now, quotations, messages. When you say no to God's now message, it can be a verse of scripture in the morning. It can be your devotion. It can be someone that you ought to be co-accountable to, husband and wife. I know that's, that, listen, <laughs> it is so controversial today to talk about submission in the home to each other. Because you got so many agendas going. It's ridiculous. I'm just going to stick with Bible. In a Bible relationship, he said that we're to be subject one to another. Now, that doesn't mean, ladies, you run the house. That doesn't mean that you say it so he does it. That's not subject one to another because then you're not subject. And, fellas, you should learn to, to get input. You should be, both of you, accountable. The problem is it's so hard to find a spiritual, co-accountable relationship these days in the home. So, a negative response to a natural event. Let that be a little warning to you. A neutral response to God nudging you to do something. And a no response to a now message. You see, the thing that gets us in trouble is one step at a time. That's what gets us in trouble. What gets us in trouble is that whether we realize it or not, not, we're living in such a way as we found fault with him. I find no fault in him, ready, as he said, at all. At all. But if you're not careful, you're finding fault with God by virtue of a negative response to a natural event. Finding fault with God. A neutral response to a nudge from God. Hey, go ahead and do this. Trust me. You understand that you you've got to your faith has got to be so much beyond the faith of this world. Why we need to walk by faith more than ever. And 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 some people say, Well, that's not easy. I don't know if you can say it's not easy. It is a challenge. There's a difference. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So there's a sense of which it is easy to trust God. Who else are you going to trust? Who else are you going to trust? You see, faith has to do with Who's asking you to trust or who, what you're trusting? He said, I know whom I have believed. I know whom? Yeah, not what. I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, do you find no fault in him at all? Or you've been finding fault with God? I hope this will be a good little devotion for you. God be with you.